This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hola. Hey, how's it going? I'm making a very scientific poll on Twitter. Hold on. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> da -da. All right. Important scientific poll has been posted. <laughs> All right. What was the poll about? Uh, it is, are you pro bark at the park? And the options are yes, obviously, and no, I am a monster. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can be totally against it. I, I definitely wonder sometimes about some people bringing their dogs to that who probably aren't ready for that, but, you know, so it goes. Yeah, I, yeah. Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's do it, man. We're going to lead, we're leading with Bark at the Park. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. With me is my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how's it going? It's going well. And we uh, are happy to talk to you because the Tigers are playing and losing again to some scrub pitcher from Kansas City. Uh, we are recording in the midst of this suckitude, July 24th. Oh, shit. While you're doing that, I should probably turn on my, my game <laughs> feed. Oh, yeah, in, there you go. In mute fashion and finish watching them lose. Yeah. I was watching the game at work before I left, but... Yeah, it's just been brutal. Like, the pitching hasn't been that bad, and there's just nobody swinging the bat, and they're just pitching around Nick now. We got no interest in even throwing Nick, you know, too much in the way of a strike. And it's just painful. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things, like, you know, you. I understand the tanking concept, and if the Tigers just suck the rest of the way and finish below kind of the high 60s win projections we all thought, you know, that's fine. I guess that does help them a little bit, but it doesn't help them that much, and um, I don't really want to, like, put up with two months of just watching this offense score, you know, two runs here, three oh, runs there. Like, can bad. I get Kristen Stewart and Jacob Robson up here? Can we try something to entertain Is us a little bit? Is this the thing now we're going to just have to wait until September call-ups to have any fun at all? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, maybe something fun will happen, but um, actually, you know, maybe not. Because I suppose if they do trade a couple guys away, we might see somebody come up early. But um, that someone looked like it might be Kyle Funkhauser, who broke his toe on the... <laughs> walking? He broke his toe walking on a sidewalk. That's my favorite part of that story. Not to laugh at poor Kyle Funkhauser because that's no fun. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a little bit entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> was that that was that was in Toledo, wasn't it? It wasn't a Michigan yeah. problem because Michigan's roads, of course, being notorious, everyone was immediately like, "Oh, look what the well, the, one the of toll our, the our, roads are taking." One of our writers, Peter, I believe, is from the Toledo area, and he said that Toledo roads are not great. Yeah, well, Toledo really is part of Michigan. I mean, we only gave them, gave it up so that we could get the UP, which was a beautiful exchange, in my opinion. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's Kyle Funkhauser, but yeah, he's out. And so you've got Matt Hall and maybe Zach Houston, 
couple arms you might see, and yeah, maybe maybe the Tigers will have mercy on us and show us Kristen Stewart and Jake Robson at least for a little while. Um, something like that would help. I, I could still see Dawel Lugo maybe getting a look for a little while. Um, that's not going to be that much fun though. <laughs> Just to warn people. No, out not, there. not this not this early in his his career. It's not going to be as exciting as you'd want. I still think he's got something. I think he. I mean, not like you know A plus stuff, but definitely the kind of guy that could could do what Dixon Machado did a little bit better. Um, yeah, he should hit yeah. better than Dixon. Yeah. 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 But I don't think he's going to be like, you know, our all-star for the future by any means. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's going to look a lot like Ronnie Rodriguez um, with maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little more contact but um, and probably less less personality. I will give Ronnie that. He's, he's, he does bring the personality, which is helpful. And the rap. <laughs> he's got yep. a rap, rap career. Yep, he's, uh, he's, he's the one composing walk-up music for various Tigers now at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. How's, uh, how's your last week or two been, been going since we, we last? Um, this? I went on a little rant about the all-star game. Uh, I don't know if everybody caught that on the site. I know a lot of people disagreed with me and I think a lot of people missed my point. Um, I am an MLB TV subscriber cause I have to watch in Canada. Right. Um, I also am one of those people who's unplugged, so I don't have any cable connection, not even the basic, like plug something into the back of my TV basics. Um, I rely solely on MLB TV and Netflix and Amazon Prime for all of my viewing. Like uh, a great many people under 40. <laughs> absolutely. Because um, paying $120 a month for the two channels I was watching on cable, which were Turner Classic Movies and the Food Network, um, was not really a logical expense. Um, and to me, it was like I was sitting down and I would just turn on the TV to watch something for the sake of watching something for 20 minutes. And without that, I, I find I'm wasting a lot less time sitting in front of the TV. So there's a logic to it. Um, but every year for at least the past five years, I've been able to watch the all-star game on MLB TV, turn on, cue it up. You get the Fox broadcast. You're good to go. I have absolutely watched this game for the last five years on the, on my MLB TV. Who can forget all the scintillating action you've seen and the, the poignant commentary of one Joe Buck. You can't forget these things. Good God. Um, but, I, you know, <laughs> last year I did get to watch Nelson Cruz get a portrait with Joe West, you know, like yeah. it was not I didn't have to miss anything. So I go to tune in this year and what do I find? But I can only get the radio broadcast. And no matter what I do, no matter where I log in from, it's giving me this notion that I am locked out, even though I'm international. Uh, there's nothing I can watch. So. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I end up having to like go through, and I, I, I'm loath to admit it, an illegal stream online because it was the only way I could watch. Gasp. I know, but it was literally the only way I could watch. So I was stuck watching in this tiny box on my laptop just so that I could see this game, whereas I'm paying $130 American, which is no small change in Canadian exchange, let me tell you. It's... It's like at least 170 bucks, and oh, Victor Martinez just hit a, home, a three-run home run. There it is. Um, good heavens! Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the first one in like three months. I don't think he had a home run since early May. That's he's just the slowest jog around those bases I've ever seen. <laughs> what um, people don't understand about Victor is that he just takes a long time to recharge. <laughs> now <laughs> you have to leave him plugged it. into the wall for like three months, and there's dingers <laughs> in there still. So taken his time good old vior the only guy on the team whose age matches his jersey number oh uh, yep 
But, uh, you know, the, but the point being, I mean, right, like, you, this isn't one of those things where, I mean, MLB does this kind of thing because they've got all these grandfathered contracts yeah, yeah. where this game or that game can't be broadcast on MLB TV, and we all kind of put up with that. But the All-Star game has always been on, and this yeah, was the yeah. first year it wasn't. Why did they do that? Did you ever find out? I think it was something to do with the renegotiations of the broadcast agreements with Fox, um, which just occurred right before this season. Um, but the point being is I think, and a lot of people were in the, the comments of my thing, thinking, oh, they're not going to give up millions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. They're not. That's It's one game. If the MLB writes into their restrictions with the contract that that broadcast has to be available free for everyone, the Fox is not going to say no. Like... Fox is A, they're not going to turn down the free advertising because it is just going to be, you know, MLB on Fox everywhere. They can, you know, do what they do every year and be like, here's your new midseason shows and here's my crappy commercials. And MLB can agree to, like, let Fox air previews for shows in the breaks. Like, I don't I don't see it as being a lost a lost revenue thing when Fox can be like, OK, well, this looks really good for us if. And I was suggesting the make it free, make it free for everybody, not even MLB TV subscribers, like put a live stream on YouTube, make it something that you can watch um, live on Facebook. And Fox can just absolutely plaster that with their their logos like sponsored by Fox. Here's Fox. Here's ad breaks by Fox. Like and like you say, like it just doesn't you know, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're watching the same broadcast. You're watching their commercials, you know, <laughs> like it's just like another outlet for Fox to, to so, have their exact program reach you it, without you having to do anything. Exactly. And it's not them losing millions and millions of dollars for one game. That's ludicrous. Like Fox makes so much money. The MLB makes so much money on those full scale year long contracts. It's outrageous to think that making one game free for everybody, especially when they've already made a handful of select games free on Facebook throughout the year. It's not a stretch. And I think that if you're trying to market to a younger audience and you're trying to make your sport more relevant to a, a, a younger crowd, making the most quote unquote exciting game with the biggest stars, the most popular players free for everybody to watch. Why isn't that the smartest move you make? Yeah, and it just doesn't this just feel like another classic example where where Major League Baseball makes, you know, comes up with these ideas that where they're like, okay, we've, you know, we've got, you know, on the one hand, they're always saying we've got, you know, we've got to appeal to younger people. We've got to grow the sport, um, you know, among the 30 and under crowd. We've got to do better with youth baseball. We've got to, you know, have more accessibility to the game. And then at the same time. You know, they're going on and on about a, a bunch of things that it feels like, you know, no one, you know, no one under 50 would care about, you know, the, like the, some of the stuff about, you know, like the way the game is played or, you know, worrying about, you know, all these little, these little details as far as trying to trim time off games. And, you know, we're still heckling about like the DH and what to do about that and interleague and these kind of things. And it just feels like one of those areas where that, you know, they just, they just drop the ball and they just still kind of don't, don't seem to get it sometimes, you know, there's... It, there's a lot they of ways don't. to get to the young people that are that you know they could be doing, and this isn't the end of the world. It's one game, but it's just another one of those ways where it's like, I mean, maybe if they'd even announced beforehand that that there would be a difference this year and made a fuss about it so that you knew that you were going to be up against this, but instead it's just like this thing that you've had for four years suddenly isn't included in your package, and exactly. you know, God, God forbid anybody reads that entire agreement to find that out if it's even in. And there's like other disconnects that I noticed too. Like you could see all the comments on Twitter where people were complaining that the players in the dugouts were looking at their phones. 
And I feel like that's like an age thing that people really weren't understanding what those guys were doing because like, yeah, Nelson Cruz was on his phone and he was literally live streaming the game from his cell phone, from his Instagram account. So like when Gene Segura hit that big home run, that go ahead home run, Nelson Cruz was live streaming that yep, and you, you could hear reaction. him <laughs> lose his goddamn mind and like just that genuine reaction or like even Justin Verlander was filming yeah. and sharing his and he called Aaron Judge's home run and so you can hear him and he's like I told him told him he's gonna hit it he's gonna get there he's gonna hit it and he hits it and he's like oh, I told him and then you hear I think it was it might have been JD Martinez I'm not 100% sure and he's just like why didn't you call one for me yeah. and Verlander's, Verlander's like, like I, I didn't, didn't feel, feel one for you <laughs> <laughs> and it was just these really sweet like one-on-one interactions these guys that you could tell really enjoyed each other's company or had really genuine passion for the game and man alive if i had it my way to market this game i would let them do that every game yeah i mean some of the best moments in that were the you know the mic'd up moments um the you know the moments in the dugout the moments where you know nelson cruz is out there having yadier molina you know take a picture on nelson cruz's phone of nelson cruz and country joe west behind the plate like those things that you know that's where we are people and if that's the kind of thing that bothers you you know, you're just going to get run over by the truck of time here. <laughs> it's not and I'm happen. certainly not saying we should allow guys to have their phones on the field. And I'm not saying that, like, we should let guys, you know, be checking Tinder while they're in the middle of a game. But I think maybe have, like, a designated team cell phone in the dugout and let the guys use it. Let them, like, live stream stuff from the team's Instagram account. Let them, like, post pictures to the team's Twitter account. Like, they're in there having fun anyway. And why not make the most of that? Yeah, like, well, well, okay. But but then here's the problem is that there's got to be some intermediary because then there was the other thrilling story that came out of the All-Star game, uh, which is that while Mr. Josh Hader, the left-handed Brewers reliever, was on the mound pitching, people had noticed that deep in his uh, Twitter account back when supposedly he was 17, 18, also, although some of this is still vague because he immediately deleted all this stuff, Josh Hader had a whole bunch of posts, you know, about white power, um, just a whole bunch of racist crap, basically. And there was a lot of, you know, there was some stuff that was just, you know, it was quotes from lyrics and this and that. But it's still, um, it was all still, like, pretty horrific stuff to see on there. Yeah, there was a lot of homophobic sentiment. Um, I mean, you can't can't write white power, the words white power, off as being somebody quoting a song. Like, Like, not even, oh, you're, you're understanding... And I was the first person to be in there going, okay, well, guys, you know, some of these that you're quoting and calling the worst of the worst, these are literally just song lyrics. Like, like I, I think that it's it's fine for us to call somebody to task over the shit that they say that's terrible, um, but we got to pick and choose and we got to be smart about what we're – like, that's the thing I, I'm a big proponent of. Like, let's not rally to judge somebody based on words without checking what those words are first. Like, yeah, he probably shouldn't have typed the words out exactly as the lyrics are because, frankly, he's, you know, a white boy who should not be saying the words in this rap song as they are. Um, it's something that's even come up. I think Lil Wayne had a concert recently where he pulled a fan up and, and she was white and she was rapping the lyrics along and people went batshit because she rapped exactly <laughs> the lyrics. Yeah. And people were like, you can't do that. And I'm like, he called her out of the audience and told her to sing the song. What's she supposed to do? Yep. And so I, I, there's like apparently a line there that we got to be careful of. And I get that. And I respect that, you know, 
shouldn't be saying this shit and he sure as hell shouldn't be putting on his profile and somebody in that organization should have like made sure to go through that when he signed his contract yeah and really it's his agent like you know that that should be agent 101 in the modern era is to you know to monitor your employee you know your clients social media stuff going all the way back because you know I, I don't i never said anything like like josh Hader did when i was 17 but um i'm sure you know when i was younger than that there, you know there was some stuff you could get me on back in the day but you know i was lucky it was you know 30 years ago now when i was uh when i was 13 so i, I didn't have those problems um yeah i mean we've all said stupid stuff but i think there's a line right we got to look at it and be like yeah i've said some pretty ignorant and stupid things but even when I was 17, I knew better than to than to think, let alone put out on the internet anti-Semitic and white power related things and homophobic nonsense, especially for somebody who even at age 17, and here I'm going to bring it back because we were we both listened to the the Nick Castellanos um, podcast with Shane Green. Those boys knew where they were headed. In high school, they knew where they were headed in travel team. They thought only about baseball and their careers in baseball from the get-go. So you can't tell me that Josh Hader at 17 didn't know that his ultimate goal was to be in a professional sports career and, and to, to know, know better, better than to than put, to put that, that kind of stuff, stuff out, there. out there. Yeah, and maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see that that's a little bit more talked about, um, you know, in youth baseball or, you know, in, in like travel team baseball, perfect games, you know, settings, things like that. Because, um, you know, it's only going to get worse um, for people and, and you do have to know better. And, you know, Nick Castellanos, Shane Green, when they were 17, like, yeah, they, you know, they at least assume they'd be playing baseball or that was their hope, but... You know, I, I, I can I can understand, you know, that when you're 17, you you know, you're not thinking that far ahead. That's that's kind of like the definition of being 17 is not thinking, you know, beyond the moment. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, the, some of the ugly fallout was just that, you know, like Josh Hader then gets an ovation oh. <laughs> at uh, at the Brewers home, you know, home game um, right after the all star break, which was just brutal. Like, you know. I mean, you don't have to boo, um, but to, to cheer him for that, you know, in, in a, a show reward. of support was, you... yeah, was pretty weird and, and just felt very bad, especially, uh, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily matter where it is, but especially coming from, you know, a, a state like Wisconsin, you know, like that, that whole fan base there has, has some looking in the mirror to do, I think, about that one. Yeah, I, I look at it and it's a funny comparison, right? Because in the same week of a span, we get the Josh Hader thing where it erupts and you're hearing quotes of like his family having to change their jerseys at the all-star game mid game. But then he gets the standing ovation to within days of that, this James Gunn thing breaks and James Gunn is the director of guardians of the galaxy. And the exact same thing happened with less, with less, I think terrible. I mean, it's hard to say he, a bunch of his old tweets came up. And in them, he made some really, really poor taste, really questionable jokes, uh, a lot of them having to do with, like, pedophilia and rape. And none of them were funny. None of them were in good taste. None of them should have been tweeted. Um, but he'd already apologized for them. Uh, I believe Disney knew about them when they hired him for Guardians uh, and still did. But this right wing group comes out and they pull up all these old tweets. And then next thing you know, Disney's fired him from directing. So that's it. Within the span of a day, they fired him from that. Josh Hader gets a standing ovation because he said white power. Um, 
it's not the same. I know. Anyway, I grant you, Disney is in the middle of a merger with Fox right now, where they're trying to buy out Fox. So you guarantee you they're doing it just to like sweep it under the rug. Like, no, no, no scandals here. Give us all your money. Right. Um, and obviously, I mean, James Gunn is going to be you know the head of a hundred million dollar production. You know, a manager, the, yeah. the manager of it. So it is. You know, it's different. But I, but I take your point. Like the whole thing. Um, the whole thing is just troublesome, and we all could kind of see this coming. But it's it's rapidly becoming politicized to where it's like, okay, I'm you know we're gonna sift through everything on the left, and people on the left are gonna sift through everything on people on the right, and it's like how, you know, how are we gonna balance these these things? I mean, we've already seen what aboutism taken to just you know epic levels over the past couple of years, and um, you know it seems like no one has any standards anymore for anyone who you know agrees with them. And their standards are super high for people who don't. And we're all, you know, we're all getting that way, we're, regardless of where your politics are. Um, we're all kind of leaking too too far in that vein. But yeah, I think those are both like to, to kind of pair gun and haters is, is like a pretty interesting comparison as to, you know, how these things play out and um, and the responses that come from them. And anybody out there, you know, who runs a company and is hiring people to work in the public eye in any capacity um, needs to wake the hell up because, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, these and things can I, bite I, you I, fast. I think it's a lesson to the youth of today, too, to be very careful what you have put out there publicly. Like, there's no reason that a company that you're applying to can't go and check your profile. Like, if you're locked, if you're locked down, cool. Um, but, like, I've known people that have gone through and done full scrubs of their their Twitter profiles ahead of applying for jobs that are very important to them. Like... Yep. And that's becoming a thing where they, you know, like you get out of college, they're telling you like, that's one of the things you should do. You know, that's one of your preps, you know, beyond getting ready to interview and how to put your cover letter together, scrub your social media. We actually had, you know, um, one of one of the site employees graduated this spring. And that was one of the first things he did was like, okay, I've got to start a new Twitter account. I'm going to throw away everything that I've said over the past, you know, five, 10 years on there and start fresh because, you know, public and private life are two different things. And if you aren't careful to keep them that way, they will bleed into each other with noxious effects sometimes. Yeah, it's getting pretty ugly out there. So you got to be careful. Yep. All right. Let's get back. Well, uh, one more thing, because there is one Tiger's note from the um, the, the, hall, or the Hall of Fame, the All-Star game. It was cool. I, I didn't expect Joe Jimenez to get into pitch. So it was nice that he got into the game. I thought, to you know, he, he only got one out, um, but he struck a dude out. Got a nice call on a slider that was a couple inches um, away and picked up a strikeout and, you know, had a good showing for himself. So that was cool to see um, in a season where, you know, there, there just isn't much of that kind of thing to cheer for. Um, so it was good to see Joe go there and, and show out. And it looked like he had a great time. And he obviously played for Team Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic back and in And did really well. well. Yeah, he was pretty good there yeah. um, in 2017. And so, yeah, he knows a lot of the guys, obviously. And he, he obviously had plenty of friends there. I'm like the type of person who, like, worries about our young players when they go there like are they gonna have any friends or are they gonna feel <laughs> lonely and stuff he did look know. a little sad during the home run derby um like it was just really sweet that like he was kind of sitting in the back and all these guys had been there before were you know sitting together and there was a picture where he just kind of looked a little bit sad in the background but i mean it was probably just one of those things where you caught him at a moment where he wasn't paying much attention because <laughs> i have i have resting bitch face like nobody's business so, <laughs> so when i'm not focused on something i look like i'm just absolutely miserable yeah. um so <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, or when I'm reading, I look angry because I have severe concentration face. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's one of those things like where you can never quite be sure what's going on in a photo. But I just saw that one and I'm like, oh, somebody go hang out with Joe. Yeah, I think my like my regular my like resting face is fine. But my reading face is pretty intense, too. And I like it that way because, you know. I don't bother someone if they're reading. Like if I go into the you know the lunch room at work or something and someone's reading, I'm just quiet as a mouse. I'm just I'm just that way. That's how readers are, you know, with each other. So yeah, yeah. So I try to keep that out of hand. Um, so I mean, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, Tigers wise from the All Star game. Other than that, it was it was a pretty good representation of where we are with baseball with yeah. um, just a crap ton of strikeouts and home runs. I mean, that was kind of kind of the whole game. Um, the Astros recreated the. World Series against uh, poor Ross Stripling, who gave up back-to-back home runs to Alex Bregman and George Springer, which turned out to be the decider. So it was a fun game um, as far as All-Star games go. I'm not the biggest fan of the All-Star game, but, you know, it was a pretty entertaining game. So I, I can take that. Um, and now we're on to trading season. And unfortunately, it's looking pretty pretty quiet right now. I mean, we've had some nibbles about Nick uh, Castellanos from the Braves, which doesn't seem super likely um but the two guys i think you know everyone looked at it as our key trade chips michael fulmer and shane green um fulmer hasn't pitched particularly well and he's on the disabled list now yep and shane green just came off the disabled list for some shoulder issues and so both of those guys are are pretty well devalued um and I guess Kyle Yost, our, our own Kyle Yost from the site, made some really good points about Green today, uh, yesterday, for those listening to this t- today. I, but this <laughs> is also very cool. In the future. <laughs> in the future, from the past. Um, <laughs> um, he made some really good points this week uh, on, in a post about Shane Green, where he mentioned that because his stats are a little bit down from where they were last year, but there's every indicator that suggests that last year's stats are really more of what Green's capable of. Um, that trading him this year would just be stupid almost like you wouldn't net the same results that we could if we waited and kind of demonstrated what he's capable of, not right off the disabled list and kind of give him a chance to get back to that level. Um, and I, I don't see it getting worse. No, knock wood. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, yeah, we've got Shane Green for two more years. Um, I guess, the, I mean, the only real knock on that point of view is that, you know, he's had the, he's had arm injuries. Um, he's, I think nine or 10 years on from his Tommy John surgery. Um, he hasn't had any real elbow issues. You know, he had the, he had the nerve transposition surgery, I think back in 2015. And since then, you know, he's had the tingling and some numbness, but other than that, you know, for the most part, he's been all right. So I'm kind of with Kyle on that one. I would kind of like to take the risk and hope that he can, he can bounce back um, in the second half, and and maybe even you know there's a possibility you could even move him this off season if there's some kind of a a package deal. Um, right now, the only the only way I think he could get real value for him is if you know a team wanted to trade for Matt Boyd, say for example, and you added Green to it to kind of sweeten the pot. You know, if you could yeah. get the Brewers or the Phillies, maybe or somebody like that to bite on something like that, maybe it would work. But yeah, I mean, so who are you thinking gets traded then right now? Like if you had to to, to pick you know, a name or two, who do you think is going to get moved? I think we might see Martine, um, either Liriano or Fires, um, and maybe, maybe Jose Iglesias. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
Um, I think there's teams that could use Jose Iglesias. I mean, I know they've been trying to shop him the last year or so, and he's looked pretty, pretty, pretty sexy in the out in the the infield lately. Yeah, like, like he's shown flash of of what he can do there. And if somebody's willing to get somebody that just plays shortstop really well, um, but doesn't care too much about the bat, um, you might find a team that's like, okay, you know, he can sometimes hit, but also he's just a really good shortstop. Um, yeah, he is. He's so good out there. Yeah, I mean, Andrelton Simmons is the only guy I, I I can put above him at, at shortstop. Um, but there are some interesting options. I you know I keep thinking about this because it seems like Dustin Pedroia is basically done. Um, you know, Boston could move Xander Bogarts over to second. Um, they don't need the offensive help, and putting Jose Iglesias in there, you know, increases your you know your run prevention. Pretty and substantially, so that might be a, mo- a, a move or something like that could work yeah, out. Yeah, but a if, team. I mean, if there's anyone out there who's going to appreciate adding Jose Iglesias to their team, it's going to be Dave Dombrowski, who got him from Boston in the first place. Yep. So and he and, he and Alavila were hanging out when we played Boston yeah, last week. So. They sure were. So that that's not something that I would say is too crazy. I could see that playing out that way actually. Because um, we know Boston's had some scouts at some of the games, and people thought, "Hey, they're they're for Fulmer, they're there for this, they're there for whatever." Um, but they could be there for Jose. Yep, and you know, I I've been an advocate of of signing Jose, you know, this this coming off season, um, assuming we can get him cheap, um, just because the Tigers don't really have a lot of options, and even well, even if, even if something happens, and you know, Isaac Paredes stays at shortstop, or Wenzel Perez you know, is just a genius and comes tearing through the farm system. Well, all right. Well, then you've still got Iglesias to play defense wherever you want, um, you know, to use him as kind of a backup player. You know, you're not going to hurt yourself in, in any kind of deal that Jose Iglesias is going to be able to pull this offseason. But if no, someone's I willing to give mad. you something, hey, I'll take I'll take something for him. Sure. I'm going to say Mike Fires is, I still think Mike Fires is, is probably the most enticing. He's been the best, the best lately. lately. Yeah, and I keep thinking um, the Brewers, you know, the Brewers need starting pitching. Um, they just had Brett Cedar go yeah. down. And Mike Fires pitched there, you know, the whole first part of his career. Um, you know, they've fallen back a little bit, and they've got the Pirates, like, burning up behind them right now. The Pirates are on a good run, absolutely. They had, a, like, a five-game streak against the Brewers. They then went on a tear against the Reds. I know this because I write a weekly column about what's happening in the NL Central. Um, Reds are actually surprising me. I'm continuing to be surprised by the Reds, but they've had a, a bad stretch. But yeah, the Cubs have overtaken um, the Brewers. The Brewers, last I checked yesterday, were three and a half games back of first. Um, they're really having some struggles, that's for sure. Like, they had... Uh, yeah, and it didn't help that the Cubs had won three out of five against the Cardinals over the weekend. Um, I mean, it feels like the Cubs are hitting the afterburners pretty. Yeah, the Cubs have, I think, kind of figured out um, what they needed to do. I think, which is tough because uh, Chris Bryant just went on the DA was well, he didn't officially go on the DL yet, but he's been he's been benched right now uh, with more injuries. They still haven't uh, really got great starting pitching out of guys like Hendricks and and Lester's, you know, struggled well, you, some and yeah. Yeah, you Darvish still isn't back into the rotation yet. Is um, um is Drew Smiley still supposed to come Smiley back? is pitching um in in like bullpen sessions and um what's the word I'm looking for? Simulated games. Yeah. So they've got uh, Smiley and Darvish both who should be should be yeah. back by the end of August at the latest, I would think. We'll see. I don't want to rush the idea of Smiley, and I know they're really, um, they're really being careful with Darvish because uh, I know they really wanted him back sooner, but he definitely was showing signs where things were still bothering him. 
So um, I, I'd say, yeah, mid, mid-August, mid hopefully, for Darvish. Um, and you might see Smiley in September, but it'll all depend. Because you don't want to push a guy that's coming back from Tommy John. Right. Um, I mean, uh, they're, really, they're really bringing him back a little early, probably. Anyway. Yeah. They'd want to activate him before. I don't know what the rules are on that. How soon do they have to activate him if they want to use him in the postseason? Um, he has to be activated before September, but I think that's it. I'm not sure there's much before that that, that has to take place. He just has to be on the active roster before September. Before starts, September. Before that end of August deadline. Yeah, the, the waiver yeah, the waiver trade yeah, deadline. Yeah, that deadline where you kind of have to set your lineups because then your September call-ups don't count towards your roster, but they can come up. I always try to remember these like weird finite rules of things. But yeah, I think you're right. End of August. So if he was activated by then, he could pitch for them in the... Yeah, but it seems like the Cubs aren't going to do anything, does it? I mean, they've really depleted the farm system over the past couple of years. They've they've kind of, it feels like they've kind of spent all they can as far as prospects go and don't really want to go too much farther if they can help it. So it really feels like they're just going to kind of be patient with Smiley and, like you said, Darvish, and, and hopefully that those two guys can kind of put them over the top. Um, the bullpen seems pretty solid. It's not great, but Justin Wilson's been better. Carl Edwards is back. Um, that, you know, they seem like they're in decent shape. I'm sure they could use a few things, but they don't really seem like the big, uh, the big go-getters right now. The ones who made a move today were the New York Yankees, those monsters who acquired Zach Britton, um, for a couple of decent prospects, nobody, you know, particularly special. Um, the, the Orioles in both the Manny Machado and and Zach Britton trade really, I mean, it kind of illustrates just how empty their farm system is like you know the the Orioles don't even have like multiple Dowell Lugo type guys I mean that's how bad they are so it really feels like they were taking as many prospects as they can just to kind of get the depth going um you know Eusneal Diaz is a good piece but yeah so the Yankees added Zach Britton um I still I I am just not that impressed with the Yankees um I still I picked the Red Sox before the season and I keep looking at the Yankees thinking they're really going to regret it if they don't go out and make the big deal for a starter because, you know, Luis, Luis Severino um, has been awesome, and he pitched deep last year. But, man, when you start leaning on a young guy like that for 200-plus innings and then expecting him to be at his best in October, I think you're hurting. And they don't have a whole lot beyond that. Masahiro Tanaka's pretty good. Yeah, Tanaka was good today, right. actually. He was out against the Rays, and he had a no-hitter going through five. Yeah, but uh, Sabathia and Gray, you know, in the postseason, like, I don't really even want to see those guys on my on my roster for, like, three or four innings, even though the bullpen no. is a monster. And, so. and they know I think it's going to come down to a wild card for them. Uh, it seems and I think like that's, that's what they're conceding, yeah. If they don't go get a big starter. That they're really leaning into that. Because if you look at a guy like Britain, that's what you're you're getting him for. Um, you're you're barely considering for now. You're looking at how deep can I make my bullpen for that one game? Yeah, and, and and beyond that, like okay, we'll piece it together. But um, I mean, the I mean, joke, the joke here, here, of course, is, is does, does, does Zach, Zach Britton have, have to sit out another, another wild, wild card game? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to save him for game one of the DS. No, we're going to get there. But yeah, I mean they're they're in a weird spot because um, you know they could catch Boston if they got their, themselves a starting pitcher. I think um, you know Boston's playing a little bit maybe over their heads right now. Um, you know they look like the best team in the league lately, while the Astros have still been really good, but kind of keying back just a touch. But um, I, yeah, I just I don't know. I'm I'm really surprised the Yankees are, if if they don't go after it. Um, I think they're making a big mistake because they could still catch Boston and being that good a team. I mean they do have a really good team. I don't mean to deny that they just. That, you know, if they leave themselves in a position without going for it where they're in the wild card game and get knocked out in one game, I mean, that's just well, a mess. <laughs> that's just a waste of a season. 
you got to figure they are looking for starting pitcher. They've never not been in the mix for discussions about Fulmer. So, I mean, they've definitely got to have people out there. A part of me wonders if maybe they've, I think they might have scouts out looking at Chris Archer. Yeah. Um, I've heard that. Heard that. They, they were uh, interested in Snell too. And that was kind of a weird, I can't remember if that was Ken Rosenthal or, who, or maybe it was Peter Gammons who was suggesting that, that they were interested in paying a ton in prospects for Blake Snell. But of course, Blake Snell is now what injured in some way. Yeah, he's on the 10-day right now. He's just got some shoulder issues. But um, that makes, by the way, every single Rays starting pitcher this season has spent time on the DL. Uh, I don't see the Rays trading Snell. Uh, Archer would absolutely be somebody they'd move. Um, I sincerely don't see them moving Snell. The problem becomes when you look at a team like the Rays or you look at a team, like, I mean, the Braves will be buying. But as an example, if you look at a team like that, there's so much depth to their farm. Like, there's only so much guys that you can stock, right? Like, yeah, you can only play so many guys. <laughs> there's only so loaded your team can be. And I mean, I, I say that and it sounds ridiculous, but like, at a certain point, you can only stock that farm so much. Yep. And you and can only, like, you can only have nine guys going at a time. Exactly. So, I mean, as great as it is to get those prospects, like, there's got to be a reason for it. And I think you're going to get, I think that the Rays would see a trade for a guy like Archer as being something more immediately useful to them than Snell, where you'd be loading up with farm guys, like, severely. Like, you'll still get prospects for Archer, but I I, I see it being, they'll want to keep Snell for the long term. Like, yeah, I would think so. I mean, especially because he's he's going to be league minimum for two more years, I think. Um, and that's, you know, that's a huge consideration for the Rays, especially as they're trying to figure out how to get the stadium built and all that. You know, Archer is super cheap as well and still controlled for a bunch of years, which is crazy. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that seems more like the likely move. Um, you know, I guess there's still J.A. Happ out there. There's still Cole Hamels if, if the Rangers would take most of the money. Um, I have to agree that the Ranger that the Yankees are going to do something. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I think they're going to end up regretting uh, regretting that going big and trying to get somebody somebody major in there. And then I've you heard look at, I've heard the suggestion of Hamels going back to the Phillies, which I think would be something both of those parties would be keen on. Um, holy shit, the Phillies! Who saw that coming? Oh, I mean, as soon as they signed Gabe Kapler to be the manager, I was all bored. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I know you and I are very much Gabe Kapler true believers. We, we really did drive the bandwagon on Gabe <laughs> but Kapler. I, I love and I really just wish, like, you know, this tweet had aged well kind of thing. I wish I'd just kept a folder of all the angry Gabe Kapler hating tweets from the beginning of the season where they're like, just burn the season down now. Everything oh, yeah. is trash. Worst manager we've ever had. Fire him tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you guys calm down. I know, you know. I mean, it was so ridiculous. I actually sent him a message. Like I had, once he got the manager's job, I was like, I can't talk to me anymore or whatever. So I didn't bother t- tweeting him anymore. But that was just like, yeah, the whole thing was so out of control. I was like, keep your head up, Gabe. Everything's going to be all right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it was like within two or three days <laughs> yeah and now it. he's laughing all the way he knows what's up it's yeah those yeah. two might be the most interesting the braves and the phillies because they're young and you know they could say to themselves we're not going to push too hard right off the bat we're going to kind of see how things go and just get a piece or, or something small but um they both had the farm system to to, to kind of go ham a little bit if they wanted to and the Nationals are, are weak and feeble and staggering right now, um, which is 
Honestly, I don't, I don't know why I have such an evil streak toward the Nationals. Um, I think it's because they feel like Tigers 2.0, and I want it to go just as badly for them. But it, it feels like they're they're kind of running to the end of the road here. Um, you know, they're I think they're only six games above the Marlins for third place in the NL East, which is it's kind of hilarious. Um, there's still time. There's still time. But, uh, yeah, it's not looking so good over there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And then, you know, so there we are. I mean, it, it feels like the All-Star game was late this, this year, and it's kind of crazy to me that there's only seven days left because it doesn't feel like that much has happened. Like, we had Manny Machado go to the Dodgers. We have Zach Britton, who went to the Yankees, and we had Brad Hand go to the Indians. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there haven't really been any other kind of notable moves. Um, you know, Brad, the Brad Hand deal, you know, Rob uh, Rojacki, our managing editor, wrote a nice piece about... But you know that that it's good for the it's good for the Indians to go for it now and try to get in there. But by trading Francisco Meja, who's you know their their last really blue chip prospect, you know they've kind of limited their window as well. Um, you know to the to the next you know year or two, as long as they still have whole um, control of Brad Hand. But they're going to lose Andrew Miller after this year. Cody Allen is going to leave after this year. I don't yeah. really know their money situation, but. Um, I thought they did the right thing by going all in there and trying to trying to shore up the bullpen in case Miller comes back and isn't quite as healthy as you'd hope. Um, you know, I, they got the pitching, and they've got Lindor and Ramirez for a long time to come, so they're not going to fall apart. But this really feels like the last season where they can sort of be certain that they've got, this like, Carrasco, their, Kluber, Bauer yeah, having last, a career year. Their last true, like, for sure contention season. Um, and I mean, a lot of that depends because they're still going to be probably the best in a very bad division. Um, cause I don't see, I mean, the white Sox will soon become very good. Maybe. Um, I, I'd say <laughs> within a year, the white Sox, if they do things right yeah, and like make the, make the use of all of the talent they've shored up, um, could be a, a contending team. But I, I, yeah, that all depends on the White Sox not messing that up, <laughs> and also because because everyone else is you know kind of kind of a weak division, and we don't know if Minnesota is going to figure this thing out, um, which is a good kind of you know I, I guess a, a you know a good red flag for what can happen, you know, because the Twins a lot of people were really kind of loving on their farm system and some of the deals they made, and mm-hmm. you know, and they signed Lance Lynn. Everybody's like, oh, you know, they're they're going to be you know a tough fight for Cleveland, and you know they're they're in second place, but they're you know wholly unnotable and they've got Miguel Sano, you know, hitting in high A ball on a rehab assignment. <laughs> they've got Byron Buxton uh, who can't figure this out. And I, you well, know, Buxton's been on off. Rosario has been really good. Rosario has uh, been good. Yeah. Jake cave is, was surprising to me when I was there. Um, that guy's got a lot of hustle that I think a lot of people aren't seeing because he's, you know, his name's Jake cave and nobody's ever heard of him. I sat down and I'm just like, I was there with, with Maya from uh, Twinkie town. I looked over at her and I'm just like, what the hell is a Jake cave? Cause I'd never heard of this guy in my entire life. Um, and was pretty pleasantly surprised by him uh, at the game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You got Max Kepler and Max Kepler's hitting well. He's sensational. Yeah, um, but it's but not still, always. Yeah, still kind of inconsistent. He's kind of Corey Dickerson like or something. Yeah, they're young guys too. Which it's it's they're with the exception of the the vets like your Dozers and your Mowers. It's a it's a pretty young club. Um, I I see them trading Dozier honestly. Yep, and I think it's, that that kind of ends that kind of. But to me, that kind of ends their window because I still just don't see 
where the talent is to really fill that in. Um, you know, Jorge Polanco should be back pretty soon. He's a good player. He can play second base um, if they need, or, or they can work things around at shortstop. But I just don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I don't know. I'm going to be watching closely because I look at, like, the Padres and I look at um, the White Sox is another good example of these two teams that, ha- that do have these killer prospects. Um, but have no track record of being able to parlay that into a major league roster um, that, that can win. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, A.J. Preller in particular, he just picked up Francisco Meja. Um, you know, they've got Fernando Tatis, who's out for the year now, but nothing that should hamper him long term. They've got Mackenzie Gore. They've got a crap ton of, of excellent prospects over there. But it's just a whole just a whole different ballgame, turning that into major league talent in the right time frame, you know, like where your one or two guys come right out as rookies and are great. But then everybody else, you know, takes three or four years. And by the time they get good, everybody's already, you know, gotten squirrely, starting to think they should trade the stars and stuff. It's hard to get that all to match up. So it'll be interesting to watch them and maybe instructive um, for what the Tigers are going to be going through in the years to come as well. But yeah, um, yeah. but the trading season, yeah, unfortunately, looks like it's going to be... Very lukewarm stuff. Yeah, much much more of a bust for the Tigers than we had we had hoped. Um, like, like you it's would just think too it... bad. You know, Boyd was pitching really really well to start the year. Um, Fulmer was pitching well. Green was pitching well. Martin was hitting the cover off the ball. Like everybody that we kind of looked at as a tradable asset was doing well, and it all just kind of came apart in June. That epic losing streak. I sure did like that rumor circulating about the Mariners possibly picking up Zimmerman. Man alive, if that had by any stretch of the imagination real merit to it what an amazing deal that would be i would you know whatever you could do to get them to take most of the money um and and i guess that's why because you look at the mariners and the phillies and either the the mariners don't want to trade any more prospects because they don't have anything hardly left in the farm and the phillies have the prospects but they don't really want to trade them and they have plenty of room to spend either one of those teams could could take on that contract and it would help them out without having to dip into the farm again so And Depoto does love to make wackadoodle trades. Like he really bless does. his heart. He if really wants Matt Boyd. <laughs> he wants Boyd though so bad. Yeah, that's, that's what Get they want to do. Boy. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. Maybe if they would trade Sam Carlson, who was their first round pick, um, I think in 2016. He just had Tommy John surgery, so it wouldn't. You wouldn't have a chance of getting that guy probably otherwise. But I don't know. Maybe they could do something like that. But. It just doesn't feel like Alavila is the type of guy to really surprise us with some kind of super ballsy move out of the clear blue sky no, like that either. So. He's gonna, he doesn't have the DD in him, you know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a weird, that's a weird phrase for me to say. And I, I realize now that I've said it, I should not have. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? He's not Dombrowski. He doesn't do those like ballsy, like crazy end down to the wire moves. Like sure, trading Verlander at like the very last second was crazy. Um, but that was more about Verlander than it was about Al. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we shouldn't say too far because, you know, you never know what he's going to do as things start to build toward the Tigers being good again and they start feeding in their prospects. Maybe maybe things will get a little bit more exciting. I think if there's one thing I would tell Tiger fans to hope for, it would be really nice if we could trade somebody for international bonus pool money because Victor, oh, yeah. Victor Mesa... Um, a nice Cuban prospect who, um, you know, I think people are getting a little bit um, overexcited about, like, too many times um, prospects come over from Cuba and everyone just loses their damn mind and they just turn out to be Rusty Castillo. Um, and, and not enough people have seen Victor Victor Mesa to get too excited, but he definitely, um, he has the tools. 
Um, he's got the size and you know and should develop it, um, some power as he goes along even more than he has. He's got has the speed. Plus plus baseball name. Yeah, plus plus baseball name. I mean, <laughs> all the victors should be here anyway. So absolutely, the Victor Victor. Yeah, we got Alcantara and Martinez still. Uh, you know, and we're gonna Amen. lose Martinez, so we need more Victor, more Victor in the in the double team. the Victor to replace the outgoing. <laughs> That'd be that. cool. That would be cool if they could do that. Um, that would make for a very very complete haul of young talent. Um, based on who they signed as international free agents so far and the draft. Um, so we can hope for that. We'll just see how it goes. Um, it sounds like, speaking of the draft, Casey Mize is going to finally throw some innings. Um, they wanted to give him some time off, and he's been throwing side sessions, um, maybe even a simulated game. So we can probably look forward to seeing a couple starts from him um, at Lakeland, I would imagine. For, I'm excited. You know, in the near sooner. Yeah, that'll be kind of fun. Um, the farm system continues, um, you know, to be the, the happy story of the year. Um, we had Matt Manning and Daz Cameron and Isaac Paredes all get promoted, and they've all done very well since being promoted. So that's been cool to see. Um, there have been quite a few guys who've, who've been showing out. So we have that in our favor. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's still just kind of going to be a grind here. Um, I was trying to think if there was uh, who – oh, you know who I wanted to ask you about? I don't know, mm. even know if you pay any attention about to the Rockies. Do you think what, what do you think the Rockies are going to do at this point? Because they were, you know, they made it to the wild card game last year, and now the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are kind of starting to leave them in the dust. Do you think they well, might the be Dodgers pulling ahead? Let me, let me. I want to see where they are. Give me a second. Give me a second to pull up my standings here, because I know where they are, but I want to see. They're only two and a half games out of first. Um, yeah, it's not a really big gap. They're, they're at 535 right now for their percentage. Um, they're really, really not that bad. They're literally, yeah, they're a game behind, they're two games behind the Diamondbacks right now, two and a half out of first. Um, they'd buy. I don't think they'll sell right now. That's too close. Yeah. And the reason I, I, and I, Okay, I think MLB Radio betrayed me earlier because they were making it sound like, oh, you know, I, I, should the Rockies even bother? But of course, that's just overreaction to, oh, I they've mean, got Manny Machado in LA, it's all over. They've so, lost seven of their last ten, so I mean, yeah. that's tough, but so have the Dodgers. So, I mean, it's anybody's kind of play right now. Dodgers have a lot of NL Central stuff to go up against in the next couple of weeks. Like, um, I think sometime next week they'll be playing the Cardinals. Um, I, I'm just pulling this out. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But um, they have a couple West Coast ones that are might be pretty easy for them. It's hard to say. But I say that, and the Dodgers languished really far down in the standings. So it, it it's hard to tell where they're at right now and, and really how good they are and yeah. how much of this is just kind of luck. Yeah, and they've still got, you know, they just still have those holes. Like, you just don't know, you can't trust Clayton Kershaw the way that they used to. And beyond that, you know, the rotation isn't that good. And the bullpen, you know, the numbers are good. But there isn't really a guy behind Kenley Jansen there that that I'm real excited about. Um, You know, they've still got um, Pedro Baez and Tony Sincrani, who should be back from injuries. And I think there's someone else who I'm forgetting there. But, um, you know, so they've got help coming, but it still feels like the Dodgers could stand to do more as well. Um, so I don't, I just don't know. It seems like the Rockies should probably do something then if they're, if they're that close. They're yeah. St- I think, I think that I see them being more buyers than sellers, but being that close. That's a place I could see Nick 
going. I could see like Nick and I don't know, maybe I don't you know, Boyd, someone who's who's a starter and could give and could just kind of eat some innings for them while they try to sort John Gray out and figure out what else is going on there and trying to get Brian Shaw back in back in line. Um it's just so hard to, to think about trades to Colorado because you just don't know who's gonna succeed there. Um, yeah, especially with pitchers. I know if it, you put Nick Castellanos in, in right field there, there's gonna be some hilariously bad plays, but Nick is gonna mash <laughs> Like Nick oh God! Like, His yep. home runs will just go through the roof. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, funny and all that I, all that terrain out there for the you know all these line drives to land in. There'd just be no way to play them. Yeah, and it, I mean, you look at it. I feel like it would almost be a reverse Tulowitzki, where like Tula went from the the Rockies to the Jays, and kind of fell apart. Like well, he that was did still injuries, obviously. It's a lot of it's injury based, but like he he did really well at first. And then it was kind of just like everything was a wash. And I, I do wonder if having to work in a park like Comerica and then going to the Rockies would really benefit Nick. Um, for, from an absolute just like ball crushing point of view, 100%. Like he would just be insane for half of the games out of the year. Um, so Basically, I mean, there's no DH. <laughs> yeah, well, that is that is the problem because um, we know he's not super wonderful in the field. So... Uh, I don't know. I, I, it could work. I mean, if a team doesn't really care about somebody's um, defensive ability, I mean, yeah. the, the Red Sox took JD. Yep. So yep. teams care a lot about mashing over over defense. So. Yep. But of course, there it is again. JD, you can DH and Nick hit with the Rockies. Yeah. That's a little trickier. Although, I guess there are ways you could kind of mess with it, but yeah, it's a, it just it's there just isn't a good fit. There just isn't a good fit for anyone like Nick, unless it's it's in, in a DH situation. So we'll just have to see. But yeah, the Rockies kind of got out of my mind because of that conversation I heard on the radio today. I was thinking like, eh, you know, maybe uh, maybe the Rockies are are more interesting as far as a trade partner than I was previously thinking. They do have a good farm system. I would I would really love to be able to sign. Trevor Story, or possibly trade for him next year and solve our shortstop problem for the next five or six years. But um, yeah, we'll just have to kind of see how it goes there. Um, let's see. I'm just going to hit on. We had a bunch of questions sent in on Twitter earlier. Let's see if I can pick out a couple that are good before we get out of here. Um, oh, geez. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? And of course, yeah, there's some I'm going to have to skip over. This one I probably should have skipped over. Who are your projected Tigers starters in 2021? 2021, Jordan Zimmerman off the books. Who's still around? Manning. Yeah. Uh, would Fayedo be up by 2021? Probably. Yeah, he'll be there. I would assume um, Mize. Mize would be up by then. Yeah, Perez um, should be there before Manning. Like, Manning, Burrows? for me, is our number one prospect. He's going to take, he might take a little longer than people think. Yeah, Burroughs would be up by then. He will. I kind of think Burroughs is probably a reliever. What about Funk? Yeah, Funk Hauser might still be sneaking in there as like a fifth starter. Do you think um, Boyd is still around at that point? Um, I don't know about Boyd, but what, what are we talking, 2021? Yeah, yep. So we got... uh, I'm going to slide Justin Verlander in there. Yeah, that, that's my girl. That's what I want to hear. Yep, exactly. That's yeah, what I'm doing, too. Justin Verlander in the mix with the young guys, I would say. So my starting five... Um, Berlander, he wouldn't be my number one because at 2021, so I'd say probably be looking, I'm not going to put these in order because that's too yeah, hard. Yeah, I'm going to say Verlander, Mize, Fajardo, Manning, and Funkhauser would be my five. Uh, that's pretty good. I think, 
I don't know if I think Manning is going to be quite ready. Um, I, you know, Manning to me is our number one prospect. Um, I understand why he's not listed that way everywhere, but to me, he's our best prospect. Um, but I still think he might take a little bit longer. So I'm going to go Verlander, Mize, Franklin Perez. Ooh. I think Franklin Perez is probably going to turn out to be the second best of that group. Um, I'd also say Fiedo for the fourth spot. I don't think Burles is going to make it as a starter, and I don't really think Funkhauser is too. So I, hmm. You going to keep Boyd in the mix? It feels like Boyd might be gone by then. I'll say yeah. I'll say Daniel Norris just for fun. I like it. We we've totally ignored Fulmer, who I think would still be under control until twenty twenty one as well. Oh. Yep, he would be. Um, in fact, he... in fact, we have him until twenty 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 two. I think. Yep, it's just that. It's tougher because I don't know. The Tigers won't stop talking about trading him. You know, they they won't just commit to like, nope, he's our guy, and we're going to figure it out. I feel like you're right. I feel like by that point we may have traded him. Yeah, I'm going to write an article here. Well, I already have it. Nashley's already edited it once, and you'll see it (laughs) once once uh, Michael Fulmer is healthy enough to be useful again and worthy of being written about um, on the front page. But I really do think that there are ways that Michael Fulmer could still turn out to be like a a, a really top tier pitcher. Uh, I'm going to compare him to Garrett Cole. Um, in the article, and maybe he won't be that good. He won't be as good as Garrett Cole's been this year, perhaps. But I do think there are ways that the two are related that you could still see. I mean, Fulmer's only 25, so I really am I'm getting real weary of people every time he has a bad start just being like, trade him for a bag of balls and all this. I just want to start punching those people in the face because, yeah, Michael Fulmer is a valuable cat, people. It takes time. Justin Verlander wasn't Justin Verlander until 2009, and that was his fourth season. So, yeah. Simadon. Simmer down, give the man a little time to work, all right? No, I gotcha, man. But it's fun. I like to, to like, make wild guesses like this. I feel like we should write these down somewhere. I know. Uh, you know I talked to uh, Max Boltman last night um, from The Athletic, who we've, we've had on the show before, but he was doing one of those, like, um, projecting the Tigers roster in 2022, and we yeah. were just talking about that a little bit, and I was just like, oh, dude, <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard. It's like a fun little thought experiment, but it's just so hard to kind of, you know, parse what things are going to happen there's so many i mean so much will change like no i wouldn't have been able to predict the roster that we have right now yeah Yeah. it's impossible okay who do you think gets to the show first daz cameron or isaac paredes both of them were both recently promoted to double a but daz is of course two years older Mm, age doesn't seem to really be a factor for the tigers when they when they bring people up like, I don't think that they do it because guys have hit a certain age. I, I feel like they let guys languish a lot. Mm. Maybe with Cameron. Yeah, me too. The main reason being that Des Cameron has a position and they're still kind of maybe going to be figuring that out with Paredes. Um, as soon as, you know, if Daz can hit, and honestly, like Daz can priority out hit um, Jacoby Jones. <laughs> and I hate to say that. But they're probably fairly comparable. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, as Daz improves, you know you can plug him in anywhere in the outfield and he'll be fine out there. So, yeah, I would think Prades might be a little bit more of a work as as they um, try to force him to eat chicken and brown rice and broccoli for a year <laughs> and lose a little bit of weight and kind of get get himself back into shape to play some shortstop. I don't know if that's going to work. but um, Okay, should V-Mart be benched or released to open a spot for someone else or should you just continue to play him? David sorry, Bagley sorry. on Twitter. What was the question? Oh, um, should Vmart be benched or, re- or released, or would you continue to play him? Oh, criminy! There's so much in our org that works in that DH role. Um, 
I mean, I say this right as he, today he hits a three-run home run, right? Um, but, I mean, that's not the victor we've been getting game after game after game. And the DH position is all about production. Like, the entire purpose for that is that you have a guy that's going to go out there and mash when he can't do things defensively. And when you have guys like Castellanos on your team who would fill in there really nicely, or you have guys, you know, like Stewart waiting in the wings who would also fill that role really nicely. Um, I, from a logistical point of view, from like a purely baseball on the field perspective, I would dump him. Um, Rob, when answering that question today, made a really valid point in that Victor does have benefit to the club beyond just what is on the field. Yeah. And that he is really one of the last remaining vets on that team. And aside from like the bad attitude we got out of him last year, I think that his presence has actually been really good for the for the young guys this season. So uh, I, I'm torn on it in that. I mean, he's gone at the end of the season anyway. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we're really benefiting from dumping him now because the, the, the season's over yeah. as, as far as any opportunity that we had to push for anything. Um, we've done better, I think, in the first half of the season than anybody really would have guessed. Um, I'd just keep him. Just keep him till the end. Like, if I was just going by the numbers and by production, I'd say dump him and do someone more useful in there. But next year is next year. Um, and as long as nobody trades Nick, which I'm against, um, don't trade Nick. Because we need him in the clubhouse more than we need him on the field, too. Um, but he's also still good on the field, at least from a, an at-bat perspective. So. Yeah. You know, I just keep Victor till the end of the year. I mean, I I agree, and I, I don't like it, and I really do think the Tigers kind of owe it to their fan base to stop playing him every day. Um, and I and I do hope we kind of see that um, come August and September when some of the call ups happen. I hope they're giving some other people at bats and not just like you know forcing Victor Martinez down our throat for four or five at bats per game. Uh, but this is one of those decisions that's really tough because it's not not really a baseball decision. There's no baseball decisions to make that are going to impact this season one way or the other. And so what it does come down to is more of a, like a, an HR-type decision. And it is easy for people to forget out there, and this happens all the time, that a team is a team. It is a a company. You know, it is a workplace. And, and someone like Victor has some value and... That you know th- that kind of thing doesn't outweigh his performance on the field at all, but it may outweigh the, the what what value. <laughs> what, Excuse me, I bit my tongue when I did that too. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're good. It just out you know it might just outweigh that kind of thing outweighs the value of getting him off the roster. You know, like the I think you know firing Victor or telling him you want him to retire. It's just not worth that trouble. Um, it doesn't do anything for you. No one's going to remember this season next year. So for the time being, yep, I would just hang. I would just hang on to Victor yeah. and just try not to, not to play him so damn much. You know, can we, can we just not see him constantly? Yeah, let's cycle that place a bit. I mean, he's got like his cattle ranch that he can retire to when he's done. Yeah, his life life after he's had a great career. You know, gonna I have be a great. ton of respect for him. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know it's at an end and that's fine. But I don't really think you need to you know. Sh- show him out the door early just to satisfy people who are mad at him. Um, does, no, I agree. There's no, there's no real benefit to moving him at this point. Um, the, the tires won't gain anything in the standing. There's no, you know, let him have his last, last hurrah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I think that's about it. Um, 
you want to talk Hall of Fame? Do you want to wrap up with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot all about the Hall of Fame once we got into the All-Star talk. Um, (laughs) Yeah. This is a big deal, actually. Um, Alan Trammell and Kirk, or not Kirk Gibson. That would be hilarious. I've been, I've had Kirk Gibson on my mind after reading that um, Sports Illustrated article. You t- you're thinking Jack saying, Morris, right? Yeah, but yeah, Jack Morris, Alan yeah. Trammell, elected by the Veterans Committee, and they will be inducted into the Baseball's Hall of Fame on Sunday. Um, and they will go in with a pretty pretty darn good group um, of at least of players who I, I found fun and really liked. Um, you've got Jim Tomey. You've got Chipper Jones, who was great for the Braves all those years. Um, you've got Vladimir Guerrero, who was awesome for the Expos and the Angels. And then you've got, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I want to say Trevor Hoffman is the f- fourth closer. I think so. I think fourth, that's yeah. right. Um, but, yeah, the fourth closer to make it into into the Major League Hall of Fame. So that's kind of cool. Um, that's kind of a cool group. But um, but what it really comes down to for us is, yeah, Tram and, Tram and Morris and, of course, the irritant that is the fact that Lou Whitaker isn't joining them um, in, so that, in that trio. But, um, yeah, I mean, that should be cool. And it's been neat kind of seeing the two of them around and talking a lot more about their, you know, their, their kind of past history. Um, you know, Alan Trammell's always been, like, the, the most high-class like thoughtful, reasonable, hard-nosed baseball playing dude around. Um, so none of that has surprised me. But you know, Jack Morris has gone through such a transformation since he was young, um, and you know, and he's still a curmudgeonly old jackass about a bunch <laughs> of things, no doubt. Yes, but he's definitely like also, um, you know, Mister Sensitive Ponytail Man now about a whole bunch of things. And you know, when he starts talking about his past and um, you know, and kind of what the Tigers were like in the '80s and what he was like, and you know, some of the horrific stuff he did to various female reporters and you know and he you know he has actually addressed some of those things at least tangentially and um you can just see how much this means to him that you know he'd kind of come through and and really changed the way he thought about things and the and you know the the way he kind of led his life um and the defensiveness that he had always had as a, as a player has kind of washed away and um a, a much more honest perspective out of him um, i've seen over the last year so you know, we can argue about Jack Morris and whether or not he deserves it. I really don't care to have that conversation anymore. We've we've had it a few times when he was yeah. inducted. Um, I just think it's you know it's super cool. Like both of these guys were heroes of mine when I was a kid, so I'm stoked to see um, see how that all goes down and to hear what they have to say. I'm sure there'll be a lot of nice tributes to both Lou Whitaker and Sparky Anderson, and yeah. that should be pretty neat. I think it'd be cool. I'm excited. I think next year I'm going to get down to Cooperstown, so I'm pretty excited about that. Be able to see these this whole thing set up. Um, It'll be it'll be very cool. I'm I don't know. I think that these veterans and like golden era committees are a really cool thing that the Hall of Fame is doing. I think it's really their way of acknowledging that okay, yeah, sometimes the voters do mess this up um, to give these guys a chance over and over again. And and I think for everybody that's freaked out about Lou Whitaker, he gets a chance again not this year, but in, when was the voting last year? This year? Yeah, isn't it two committees per year, or, or is it one? Because I know there's four committees. It's it, Some of them, are, it's weird. Some of them are every two years, so I think the the committee that, the Veterans Committee, which I think is one we just did, we'll modern, do it again. Modern era, yeah. Modern, modern era, era, it does it again in 20, I think there are even years. So I think this was 2018, I think so, and they ended in 2020. Um, and then there's a version that only goes every five years, or ones that end in like five and zero it's a really convoluted system because obviously some of those really old ones like you know the like early eras of baseball you're not going to have as many guys that you really need to stop and consider um 
And then there's going to be guys that kind of bridge gaps. So you got to figure out where they made the most of their contributions, which was something that I had to like wrestle with the other day in my, my ongoing, um, my ongoing personal campaign, um, for our own 68 catcher, um, Bill Freehand needs Bill to, Freehand. Uh, I'm gonna, needs like, some make consideration. T-shirts. I'm going to absolutely like champion. I'm going to have a one woman like in, intent. I'm going to write posts about this and articles and I will submit them to Sabre and Baseball America. Uh, and be like, I love it. I, I'm just dead set that Bill Freehand needs to be in the Hall of Fame and I will make the world know. And you need uh, to get the, you need to get together, too, with all the, you know, the, the boosters of all the other catchers out there, too, because it, it's just ludicrous how few catchers there are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I just can't maybe figure I'll it out. put the numbers together at some point. It's not really relevant right now, but like I am obsessed with this. Like it's very important for me. <laughs> um, so the day that Bill Freehand actually gets into the Hall of Fame, because it's going to be an if and not it's going to be a when and not yeah. an if. Yeah, darn right. Um, when it happens, I'm going to go because I'll be like, I did this. <laughs> like, this, was, this was my <laughs> be thing. your last act as a baseball writer. Yeah, like, I'll be like, I'm done. <laughs> It'll be like 25 years from now. Um, but I'll fight for it. So anyway, he, he kind of bridges the gap between two different eras um, and had really good showings in both of those time frames because he, he was in the late 60s and through the early 70s. Uh, and obviously uh, those committees kind of bridge the line there so it's it's an interesting system and obviously they've, they've an enormous yep, enormous part of the the 68 world series um you know just that would that would be super cool to see him get in there eventually um you know and the last thing i i, I the reason that that kurt gibson article came to mind is because you really get a sense in that article that you know, I knew the Tigers had a bad kind of reputation in the in the 80s, especially the first half of the decade is just sort of hard drinking, you know, hard to get along with, you know, general assholes, basically, <laughs> who got together on the field and played great baseball. But that that article really kind of brought home that even to the rest of the league, the Tigers were kind of out of control. And it's just a really weird thing to, to kind of like reevaluate the heroes of your youth in that context, because um you know, I just, you just never would have thought of them that way. You know, I, I never mean, read I, this. Was this for, was this the athletic or was this? No, it was in sports illustrated. It was a profile. Um, let me look it up. Real I saw quick, it earlier it really this good. week. Like I remember seeing Gibby's picture and going, Oh, uh, maybe this is something interesting. And then there's so much that comes up on a daily basis. You, it's hard to keep up. So if you want to send me a link. Yeah, that. for sure. Yeah. And it, you know, it just, um, it just made the point of like, you know, just what a, what a savage he was, you know, I mean like the football mentality and just like, you know, just there was a story about him, Sparky Anderson talking to him about like, you know, running in the outfield, the way a receiver would run. And he was going to play him like a cornerback and this and that. And they were going to kind of do this thing. And then Kirk Gibson, of course, because he took it perfectly, literally just trucked the 49 year old tiny Sparky Anderson and ran him over and oh left him God. pummeled in a cloud of his own. It's oh, oh my God. Um, and, you know, and of course, Sparky, you know, rose up screaming and you know, yelled at him and was probably all banged up and stuff. But just, you know, that that's the, the way these guys were. I mean, there's a story of Dave Rosema, who was a reliever in those years, who um, tore his ACL and I believe never pitched again by throwing a karate kick during a brawl. <laughs> this is a famous incident when I was a kid. I think it was 83. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but that's who these, these dudes were. I mean, oh you know, it, was just, it was wild, man. Dave Roosevelt apparently at some point smashed Alan Trammell in the face with a beer bottle and cut him open. What? Um, I mean, these guys were going out. No, not, not that that's coming from elsewhere, but yeah, I mean, you know, they, they were just out of hand and, um, 
Yeah, who put this together? Is it Jerry Krasnick, I want to say? No, no, S.L. Price, I'm sorry, at Sports Illustrated. So, yeah, I would tell people, if you're looking for a, an interesting read, you can go read that feature on Kurt Gibson and um, the transformation he's kind of gone through over the years. It's been absolutely fascinating to, to kind of see these guys from that perspective. And it, and it does kind of give some insight into the effect that, like, Alan Trammell had on those teams, um, what Jack Morris was like, what Sparky was like, and trying to keep those guys in hand because um, they were, you know, they were just a pack of pack of savages, apparently. So it was awesome. Amazing. Yeah. So there we go. Um, we should be back in two in a week. Um, we're working on some guests, but we don't really have anything for certain. Um, but yeah, we're. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to get Mr. Boltman, Max from over at the Athletic, to come back on at some point. Um, we've got a few other ideas. Um, we did want to note that. Um, former Tigers outfielder Andy Dirks has started his own podcast in obvious jealousy of Nick Castellanos and Shane. <laughs> I was listening to it today. It's actually pretty good. Um, I've already forgotten the name of it, but it's um, he's got a link to it on his Instagram page, which is I think just Andy Dirks 12 or something on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, a Twitter on Instagram. Um, it, it is literally just him sitting down and talking to guys who've played the game professionally, um, kind of having these one-on-one chats about about how the game is played and you know what the right way. Not the and I say that and I've got to pause myself right away. Not like what the right way to play the game is, but like <laughs> right what, what what the mentality is going from the minors to the majors and like and like yeah. how to make those adjustments and how to be a major league player and how to kind of keep your head in the game and, and all of that. So I, I think oh, it is, cool. and he's really quite a natural, like a lot of people sound quite awkward on, on radio when they're being recorded because some people just don't talk in, in a way that works well for, you know, chats like that. Um, but he's got a real natural rapport in, in a way that makes me think he'd be great in a broadcast radio booth. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, just like he's really like into it instant. He can keep things flowing. Um, he, you know, like any of us has his ums and his ems. And uh, in this instance, the recording is a bit like you can tell he's just learning how to do the recording. So the first episode o- opens with him telling his guest what he thinks the episode will be, and then they launch into the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell there's not a lot of editing going on. Um, but I'd say that there is definitely an aspect to it that's really worth listening to. Um, there's only two episodes up right now. I think they're planning on posting a third soon. They just started on July 4th. So not a lot of catching up to do. So that might be one if you need a little bit of, you yeah, know, cool. pro baseball insight from. And he's you know he's totally self aware of, of what the role he played on the team was and what players like him are there for. Like he's like you know you're not the guy that's there to 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 mash in hits and you're not the guy who's there to be the star. You're the, the guy who's there uh, who can routinely help in a certain capacity. And it's really kind of refreshing to hear that self-awareness from a guy who was very much just a utility dude. Yeah. Um, and Although who was he, just, just an okay outfielder, you know? Sure, yeah. I well, liked he was a pretty good def- a lot. Me too. So did I. And, he's, you know, and he was actually a, a pretty darn good defender. But, you know, I mean, it's it's just a truism that the, the role players all understand what's going on better than the stars do. Um, they're, they're more, you know, they're more self-aware. They're more um, in tune to everything that went on around them during the games and with, with the coaching staff and all that, you know, the stars just, you know, they don't have to be. So I guess, I guess they're not, but it just seems like um, constantly, I mean, you look at like a guy like Brandon McCarthy on Twitter, who is just hilarious and, mm-hmm. and insightful. Um, you know, Sean Doolittle is more of a star because he's a closer, 
but you know you see a lot better stuff and a lot lot more honest um content and insight from from guys like that than you usually would from the Manny Machados and Mike Trouts and Bryce Harpers of the world um who have a lot all, all kinds of pressure and expectations on their every word so yeah you that know, is cool when we talk about that kind of stuff I just want to bring up something that we hadn't discussed discussing this week um the athletic did a really great piece on pitching ninja um, Lindsay oh, yeah. Adler, Adler, am I writing, am I saying her name right? Lindsay from The Athletic. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Um, it's either Adler or Alder, and I feel really, um, I'm going to I'm gonna get it right. I'm going to do it. Uh, Lindsay Adler um, for The Athletic wrote a really wonderful profile for Pitching Ninja, where she went and she actually, like, sat down with him and, you know, saw what he did on a day-to-day basis, how he, he figured his stuff out. He's got a whole setup in his basement where he's got, like, a pitching cage and the whole nine yards. Yeah, because this um, all started just, by him teaching his son to pitch. Yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> yeah. He, he, like, watches these clips, he makes the stuff, and um, she got a lot of quotes and info from our good old friend Trevor Bauer, and I'm becoming, as much as I hate the persona of Trevor Bauer, the mind going on behind that ridiculous persona is so fascinating to me. Um, he regularly reaches out to Rob, uh, the pitching ninja Rob, um, to ask for like different views on other pitchers' grips and deliveries. And he's not the only one, but he was very candid in his his discussion where he said that he he's not the best and he is aware that he's not the best and he is using learning as opposed to um, natural God, you know, God-given quote-unquote gifts where a lot of people I think depend on knowing they've thrown hard and thrown well their whole life. Bauer is like, what does that guy do? What does he do differently than me? That's making him pitch better than me. And how can I adapt that to my own delivery? And I think that's the reason we're seeing Trevor Bauer continue to do so well in his career because he knows that it's not inherent skill and that what he's relying on is entirely based on how well he can continue to adapt. He's very much like an evolutionary pitcher. Yeah. Um, and, and Trevor Bauer is, I mean, he, he is the future. I mean, he, he really is. I mean, and it, it's been pretty obvious, you know, to all of us pitch dorks for a year or two, but, you know, I mean, nobody can explain the intricacies of how you go about designing a pitch, learn it, figure out what works best using, you know, Rapsodo to get the spin axis and spin rate, all that stuff. Um, Trevor Bowers is the cutting edge. And yeah, he's not Justin Verlander. He's not Max Scherzer yet. Um, although he does look like he may be closing in on being the best pitcher in the American League this year, which will be interesting to see. But but yeah, he takes a very experimental um, frame of mind to to his off-season workouts and training that I think, you know, so many, so many players would, would benefit from. Like it, I mean, it's just baffling how often you see a player and I don't want to, I'm not trying to pick on Jacoby Jones cause I really like Jacoby Jones, but Jacoby Jones could throw out his entire swing this off-season and it wouldn't hurt him a bit. No, you know, like, like he can't, you know, he can't really hit at the major league level anyway. He's there for his speed and defense. So why not try something? And you just don't see players, um, you know, trying things and go, you know, you know, we've seen JD Martinez, obviously like, you know, it wasn't working. He was in desperate straits. He went to outside coaches and figured this whole thing out. And here he is, um, you know, he's got 30 home runs and now he's like the assistant batting coach 
for the Boston Red Sox as well. And everybody's raking um, with his advice. Um, but you just don't see that. You know, you see a lot of bullshit in baseball. Um, there's a lot of bullshit in baseball coaching. There's a lot of bullshit as far as, you know, oh, this is how we've always done things or we've, always, you know, all the that way sort of the stuff. way things are. That's how yes, yeah, the way things are done. Yep, And the Trevor Bauer. Way. God bless him. He can be super annoying, but he's also like a like the burning stench of napalm <laughs> in the morning, scorching out the nonsense. So, yeah, he's an me, interesting like, guy. I'm not going to like run around making diagnoses of Trevor Bauer because he may just be an asshole. But part no, of me has to, has to part You're not going to be the first. You're not the first to say this. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> part of me wonders with Trevor Bauer if it's something along the lines of an Asperger's thing yeah. where it's just like, he's so smart and he's so attuned to like learning and picking things up, but it's like a missed step in the social cues. Yeah. He doesn't read the people. Yeah. yeah. Like he yeah. just, he, he has issues. Cause I know he's, he's admitted it to in interviews where he says he's asked people on the team. Like, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you hang out with me? And like, he, he makes those efforts, I think sometimes to find out what it is he's doing wrong. That makes him someone that people don't want to communicate with. You know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah. And everybody said to him, Oh, we, um, we didn't think you would want anything to do with any of us. (laughs) Yeah. And like, like, I want to make it very clear. Like I said, I'm not making a diagnosis of it, but part of me just wonders based on like the things he posts online because he is so honest and so candid and so just forthcoming in everything and so weird. Like he's just a strange cat. The way his brain works, like I, like I said, I don't want to have a dinner party with Trevor Bauer, but part of me would just love to like have him explain his methodology for everything to me. Yeah, like, you know, I feel, I feel like I would just get, get so, so much unique, unique perspective, perspective on baseball, baseball if I could if just I not, not talk, talk to him about anything, anything but the sport. sport. Yeah, well, this guy has more talent, uh, maybe probably like more raw ability. But Zach Greinke is the same; is a very similar oh, type of character. Like he and Zach Greinke should hang. Um, and start start like the world's most incredible pitching college once they like, both like retire. The, the the grumpiest jerk face awesome pitchers society. Because oh my god, Granky talking about the All Star game was possibly the funniest thing I've read in recent months. <laughs> where he's just like someone's like, well, what are you going to do with the home run derby? He's like, I don't know. It'll probably be boring, and I'll probably leave early. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, Zach Granky, and like he's talking about you know the whole. Tampa Bay Rays opener thing and he of course he had opinions about that and I'm like but you're right these there's these guys out there that just they don't care about the filter because they're just gonna share their opinions and you're right Granky is a really great example of that he's always been kind of talked about that way too like you know his teammates just don't understand him like they like him but he doesn't talk that much and then when he does say something it, it's like off-puttingly insightful um, yeah, and he's coming just from someone bit... who doesn't say a lot to them and they're just kind of like, what? Like just a little weird, but also I've, super I've smart. Been on, I've been on Zach Grinke's mind all week and he hasn't even said a word to me. And like, he just came <laughs> out with it. You know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Grinke's an interesting character too. But So yeah, I, I know we got here by a weird segue, but there there are these interesting characters in baseball. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, we've kind of found that, you know, Nick Castellanos and uh, Shane Green are more interesting characters than, yeah, than I had first imagined on their podcast. Really, like, I have... You're right. I think we got here from the Dirks podcast, so let's full circle it. Yeah, we'll get uh, back. Because I actually, on um, that last podcast with, with uh, was it Doug Teeter, actually had some interesting Oh interesting my god, I haven't about... listened to that. Did they talk about the bald head rubbing thing at all? 
You know, they actually didn't, oh, um, no, which is so sad. Mad. They talked. They talked a lot about what the athletic trainers do, oh, and cool. which was interesting. And it was, and there was also a really interesting point where Doug Teeter was talking about, you know, when they, you know, in the run up to the draft, like he and Kevin Rand and the Tigers' entire medical staff is taking all this time looking through all these medicals from all these pitchers that they're interested in. And these medicals go back till these kids are like 10. Oh my you know? God. They're seeing elbow surgeries. They're seeing elbow damage from back when they're like 12, 13, 14 years old. And he was kind of talking about, you know, like the, the, you know, the trend toward looking at, you know, players that, that didn't specialize so much because they're just seeing so many guys who started pitching, you know, obsessively from the time they were young and they don't track their innings, you know, they, you know, they're pitching for their school for 40 innings and then they pitch for a travel team for 40 innings and yeah. then they pitch for a couple showcases. And, you know, you look back through what records you can find to them and you're like, oh, okay, well, they pitched, you know, 40 innings, you know, per semester. That, that seems semi-normal, but you just don't know. And um, you're, you're not it was fascinating. It really, it really spoke to what they, what they thought they had in, in Matt Manning and one of the reasons why they liked him, why they're going you know, they seem to kind of be leaning toward guys who can play multiple positions or who, who transitioned. Um, and it's just kind of been a popular topic lately of guys who were like position players who became pitchers and, you know, who kind of did something else and haven't blown their arm out. You know, Franklin Perez is a good example. Um, the Tigers have a couple other guys in the, in the farm system. So yeah, that was, um, that was kind of a cool point. I'm not sure that was their best episode, but it was still worth listening to for all of, uh, Mr. Teeter's insights into what he does. Yeah, I find that it's like I, I'm really behind on it, mostly because I only have so much podcast time. Uh, and I've been uh, listening to a finance one <laughs> lately. Um, yeah, it's so, you know, it's called Her Money Matters, by the way, if anybody's keen. I've been listening to that. And it's not just for ladies, but it is really just good financial advice um, in general, if you're looking for, for beginner wisdom on how to budget and how to do investments and how to do all that. So, um, I really dig that one. Okay. Um, and if you're, you know, and if you're into history, there's one called tides of tides of history by Patrick Wyman, who's a guy I've known on Twitter for a really long time. PhD professor wrote about uh, mixed martial arts for a long time, which is how I kind of, kind of got to know him. Um, super fascinating cat, but his podcast is good as well. So there's, there's another one to check out if you're a history buff, nice. tides of history, but all right, we should probably skip. <laughs> yeah, we should wrap it up. We've been chatting forever. I was like, at the beginning of this podcast, I'm like, let's make it quick, Brandon. What are we going to talk tired. about? Tired I don't want to go to bed. Up. How are we going to fill half an hour? <laughs> Jesus Christ. We should know better by now. Yeah, uh, no, we once are we get going. perfectly capable of talking. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just to tell everybody out there, anybody who's still managing to, to be listening to this an hour and a half into it, that, um, yeah, we should have some new content. And um, we're going to try to mix in some guests. I'm just trying to think of ways to keep this thing fresh because, you know, the Tigers aren't keeping it fresh nor clean. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to try and get some folks on. I threw the idea, Brandon, of now that Andy Dirks has a podcast, we should try to get Andy Dirks on the podcast. Yeah, the we might investigate of, that. The level yeah. of realistic of that, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but we're, we're just going to put out a random call to any former baseball players that we can find. Get in here. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about Don Kelly? If we could corner Don Kelly, he wouldn't be able to resist saying yes. You know, Nook, uh, Nook Logan follows me on Twitter. I should probably message him and see if he'll come on. Uh, that would be hilarious. 
Yeah. All right. So we'll wrap it up for the week. Um, I would invite you all to follow Ashley at 90 feet from home on Twitter. And you can follow me, Brandon, at Fiscodoro74 on Twitter. And we will talk to you all next week. Ashley, have a good night. You too, man. You too, man. <laughs> See ya. Good night. Good night. Okay, good. I really have to go to the bathroom.